Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I am starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, Your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The Gospel of Luke. Amen. Good morning, everyone. 
My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. Now, as some of you know, we are in a series called Party People, and we are celebrating because we are in the season of Easter, the season of resurrection, the season of life. Now, in the springtime, when we celebrate the ways that Jesus has victory over sin and death, when we remember that life comes back, when we remember the ways that life springs forth from a world that we thought was dead in so many ways, we are called to celebrate. And the life of celebration is the life of faith. And we've been using this idea about parties, right? We are party people. We celebrate. We party together. But I think some of us know that there is a little bit of a darker twist, a darker side to some aspects of the party and party culture for sure. And there are two important party ideas in this story. Now in this story, which is often called the prodigal son, we have a family a family that seems to have a lot of resources, a great amount of wealth that is shared in this family. And, and it is owned by this father. But someday it will be passed along to his two sons. We don't know why, but for some reason the younger son says, I want my cut now, and I'm going to take it and leave. And so the text says he divided his life among them. Again, we have very little context for this, but, but that language, the father di- divided his life among them, his sons, and then watched one of his sons leave with it. We, we can sense a real rupture, a real break, a real loss. He doesn't even stay local. We see that the, brother go, or the son goes to a distant country, and he squanders the wealth. The text talks about extravagant living in this translation, but there's another one that calls it desolute. This is what we think of when we talk about parties as excess, parties as a way to just shower uh, material presence on our moment in time so that we can forget about the world. There are some tropes about partying and about sin There are people who will joke like, I want to go to hell because that's where the best people are, right? It'll be a big party. And this idea that sin is anything that's like fun and that parties are just like a real sinful vibe in like a fun way. I think that that comes from some of the church's worst impulses around condemning actually genuinely fun, harmless, lovely things. And sure, there's like drinking in that mix, but there's also dancing or even playing cards. Like, when did the church become such a bummer? (laughs) And this is why we don't associate being a follower of Jesus with being a really good party guest, right? With being fun to be around. But Jesus himself was actually accused of doing those two fun things, of hanging around with sinners, of being engaged in dancing and drinking and eating and doing all of the things that, we're, that good Christians are not supposed to do. And so I want to erase that idea of the bad, sinful party from your mind. The thing that you're thinking of, the dancing, the, the talking, the laughing, the cards, the staying out too late, breaking curfew when you're a kid, probably great. 
These are the celebrations of a community. But what is sin? Is there a party that could be sinful, dissolute? When we talked about sin in our series during Lent, we redefined it. We understood it in a different way. We talked about sin as disconnection. Sin as separation. Separation from the self. Separation from community. Separation from God. And righteousness, on the other hand, as relationship, as connection, as healing, as weaving together. So, are there ever times when parties, which are intended to do the latter, are intended to be righteous, are intended to connect you, bring you together, bring you alive, bring you home and into community? Is there a time when partying can actually be disconnection? Has anyone ever gone to a party or partied not to celebrate the fullness of life, but to escape your pain? Anybody here ever numbed out in the name of a party? I've been to a lot of those parties. Earlier in my life, my life was defined by those parties where the point was to lose yourself in drink or drugs or casual physical connection. And honestly, those were not very fun parties. Like we did ostensibly fun things, but it was about making time pass and making the time pass without the feelings that hurt so bad because during that time, I was an angry, anxious, sad person. When we were uh, a little bit earlier in our journey together as a church, we were worshiping at a theater called the Miramar. Love the Miramar. The Miramar was, uh, had, a, had a party vibe in every sense. Um, and often sticky floors when we got there on Sunday mornings. And who knows what happened the night before. And I'm sure at those parties there were many people who were there connecting and living and being fully alive. And I bet there were also people there who were not. Who were feeling disconnected, numbing out, shutting down. But there was one Weekend in particular, I don't even know what event this was. There was wild stuff all the time. But there were these balloons that were left over. They were everywhere, these black balloons. that were, They weren't filled with helium or anything, so they weren't like up. They were just all on the ground. And as you walked through this dark theater, you'd kick like a, a little cluster of balloons and they'd scatter like pigeons. And they just said, sad AF. I don't actually think it said AF. I think that it spelled it all the way out. And we were like, ooh, let's maybe clear these out and before the kids who can read arrive. <laughs> but I remember thinking, like, these balloons could have been the decoration at every party I went to when I was, like, 17, 18, 19 years old because I was sad AF. And I think that it's, it's important for us to understand the energy of a party, to know whether it is holy or good. And in this story, we hear about this son who goes off, who parties, who has extravagant living, wild living. We don't know what wild living means. It's very vague, but that phrase, wild living, it feels like something that stuffy white folks might have said in the 20s to describe Harlem or the women's movement. 
all that wild living and jazz. But as I mentioned, the NRSV uses a different word, dissolute, lacks in morals. It's a word related to degrading. What kind of partying did this young man do when he left home? Now, during that same time, when I had also left home at 16 and was partying a lot to numb out, I, I nearly died. I, when I finally got to rehab later, I met a lot of people who were in similar places to me. And a lot of them said, I just really liked to party. I didn't know how it got this bad. All I wanted to do was have a good time. But I'll be honest, when I was using, I was pretty self-aware. I knew that I was in a lot of pain. I was trying to manage trauma and mental health crisis, but not heal it, you know? I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know that that could be done. And because it was so unmanageable, this feeling inside of me, I had to disconnect even from myself. I had to dial down the pain. And so I did that with drugs. I did that with wild nights, wild living. I did that to dial down the pain, but it just got louder and louder. And I had to spend more of my time and money and energy to just drown it out push it away, shove it down. Which honestly, guys, is sad AF. I almost died partying. And some of my friends did die that way. So when is wild living actually just dying in slow motion? This young son veered into the kind of excess meant to make up for a gaping hole. Meant to disconnect from pain. And at the point of the story, this beginning part, we can already see evidence of that pain. Maybe that disconnection began when he made the choice to leave. Maybe not. Maybe it began a lot earlier. But he puts everything he has into this plan to get away, to disconnect, to put distance between himself and his suffering because he doesn't know how to heal it. We don't know what his deal is, honestly. I mean, maybe he had trauma or mental health issues like I did. Maybe he just makes really bad decisions. But after not too long, he can't do it anymore. He has spent everything he has trying to run away from this feeling. He's got nothing left. And then a famine comes. So he's broke, he's far from home, and now he's in pain that he can't actually shove away anymore. He gets a crappy job. He's feeding pigs, which has got to be a real, real internal struggle for him because he's Jewish. And so he's engaging in a practice that pulls him further from his home, further from his family, his identity, his God, because pigs were considered unclean. And so here he is on the outskirts of the outskirts of the outskirts of his point of origin with the pigs, unclean and starving. He's looking longingly at the pig slop. And he makes a choice. He says, I want more than this. I think there is something more for me. 
He thinks back to his home and he says, there are, there's more food for the hired hands in my dad's household. I could at least work. But he has hit a rock bottom that has convinced him so thoroughly that he is a piece of garbage, that he is worthless. He has sunk so low that he thinks that even whatever he hasn't lost should be taken from him. And I'm sure he is so, so lonely. In that culture, at that time, if you were hungry or homeless, you would have family. Someone would take care of you. And so the fact that he doesn't have anyone is, again, just evidence of how far he's come from the place that he started. He has no one, and his fear deep down is that he deserves it because he's not worthy. He says, I've fallen so hard, I'm no longer worthy of the love and generosity of my family. I can't expect to receive that support, so I'll earn it. I'll go back, I'll ask to become one of those hired hands, a worker, a laborer. I will, I'll earn it back. And so he prepares. He prepares to go home. He probably recites his speech to himself, groveling to his, his self, ashamed. I'm not worthy to be loved. I'm not worthy to be loved. But if only I can work for you, I can earn my way back. And so he goes home. Now, as he is arriving home, his father sees him from a long way off. We don't know if the father had already assumed that he would never come back or if the father was looking out for him every day, wondering, is my son coming home? But what we do know is that the minute the father sees him, he comes running running through the field, running to greet his son. The son has the speech already. Father, I have sinned. I am not worthy. Anybody said those words before, been told to say those words? Father, I am, here I am a sinner. Here I am a sinner, not worthy of your love. That prayer that so many of us have prayed, the sinner's prayer that is so often steeped in shame, that, that's what the son is coming with. But as he launches into his speech, I'm not worthy of your love. I, I'm, I'm not even family to you anymore. I only want to come as hired hand. His father totally ignores it. He doesn't respond to any of that, doesn't dignify it. He's just not having it. He says, everybody, everybody, he's back. Bring out all the best stuff. We're throwing a party. I want him in my best clothes. Get him some rings on his fingers, sandals, get the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate. And my favorite part of this jubilant ex exclamation from the father is how he ends it. He says, my son was dead and lives again, was lost but now is found. Because the father understands what the son has been through. The father can see it in his son, maybe felt it in his son as his son was walking out the door. The death, the disconnection, the separation, the slow dying. And he says, my son was dead. But he's back. He is alive. He has been found. And that, those words, my son, he lives again, that is the same root for the name of this community, Zao, to be among the living. 
we live again. You, my child, you are beloved. I've been waiting for your return, looking out for you. You don't need to earn my love, the Father says. Because it is here for you. It has been here for you every day. I've been waiting every moment you were gone. I want you to join the celebration because our family has been reunited. You were dead. And now you're alive. What more reason do we need to party? Now the son's worthiness of this celebration didn't come from earning it. From good behavior even. It comes from being beloved. The son is worthy of the father's love because he is the son. And the father is the father. The son is worthy because he is loved. The son is loved because he is worthy. It is inherent in the relationship. And this is what I mean when I say righteousness is right relationship. That the relationship to God is the substance of the love that made us. It is the reason we are invited to the party and it is the reason that we can never lose that invitation. And so they have a family reunion, a reunion, a bringing back together of that which has been lost or torn apart. The union, the holy connection, the repairing of the world, the promise of the kingdom. That is the heart of a holy party. This is a different kind of party. There may be the same elements. There might be food and drink and music and dancing. But this one is warm and earnest. This one connects him to his community, to his God, to himself. This one is healing. Instead of drowning out, this party amps up the presence of life. So how do we know which parties are real? How do we know which celebrations bring us closer to God and to ourselves? When we go out or when we stay in, do we feel loved? Do we tend to our pain or do we mask it? How alive or dead do we feel afterward? And yet, as the people celebrate, there's still someone missing from the party. You see, this young son has an older brother, the other one among whom the father divided his life. And his older brother had been working in the field when all of this went down. Comes back in from the field to music and dancing. What's going on? He hears from another worker, your brother's back. Your dad is so, so excited. And ooh, is he salty. Like he's probably literally salty, like covered in sweat. He's been laboring in the field for however long bro has been out wasting money and wasting time and abandoning and rejecting the family. And that is what the older brother, the labor he's been doing in the field, that's what he has to do. That's what he has had to do by himself because he was supposed to be doing it with help from his brother. But while his little brother was making it rain at the club with daddy's money, the older brother was at home caring for people, preparing the things that he is now feasting on, putting the labor in to make that beautiful party atmosphere. 
And so he is angry. He refuses to go in. I'm not going to this party. The father comes out to plead with him. Join the party. This is a celebration. Your brother is home. Come on in. We want you here. Join us. And he's like, no. I've been working so hard all of these years. I've always gotten it right. All he ever does is mess up. I followed the rules. I did what I was supposed to do. I've done what you said. Where's my party? He doesn't deserve this. I deserve this. And the father tries to explain, listen, kiddo, you are my beloved, my child, and I have been here with you as you have been here with me every day. I've been watching over you. I've been a presence to you. You don't need to earn my love because you have it. You don't have it because you worked in the field. You have it because you have it. And we work in the field because we want to grow something beautiful. My love has been here for you every day, has been waiting for you every moment that you are ready to receive it. I want you to come and celebrate. Your worthiness of this party is not from the labor. And so he gives basically the same speech to the son from the fields. Your worthiness does not come from earning it, from being good. It comes from being beloved. You, my son, are worthy of my love because you are my son and because I am who I am to you. You are worthy because you are loved and you are loved because you are worthy. Now, this, song, this uh, story that Jesus tells, it's a series of lost and found stories. And there's a lot of attention given to the younger son, especially for those of us who have made some similar life choices and mistakes. And for a long time, I felt like the younger son, exclusively. I mean, like, does anybody relate to that younger son? The one who left, the one who didn't make all the right choices, the one who was chasing down a way to solve the pain, the one who ran away. I think that's the son that gets a lot of press But I think that in addition to being like that son, I've got some older brother in me too. Some righteousness, some self-righteousness that I need to work through. Now, a lot of my life, even from that time, has been dedicated to social justice, to activism, to fighting in the streets for a better world. I've been organizing, laboring for years, I've put my blood, sweat, and tears into the streets and into the work. And so when something big happens, like a leaked Supreme Court document, and I find myself in the streets with a bunch of people that I haven't seen a whole lot of, it's hard not to get angry. 
I find myself surrounded with white, cis, straight women who finally feel like something matters to them. And I'm like, now you're here. Convenient. When your ass is on the line. And so I want to start checking credentials. Where were you? Where were you for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor? Where have you been during the Black Lives Matter movement? Where were you for kids in cages? Where have you been for the trans kids that are getting brought to CPS for getting life-saving health care? Where were you? Because I was here laboring, sweating in the sun in the streets. It's so convenient for you to join the party when it's about you. I haven't seen some of you since you were wearing those stupid pink pussy hats four years ago. This revolution is not for you. We deserve this. We deserve it, the ones who have been in the streets, been faithful. And oh man, I might as well be in that field covered in sweat, mad as hell that some Becky is inside that party, lifted up on someone else's shoulders, wearing a Women's Places in the Resistance t-shirt. I shouldn't be surprised that this bitterness is in me. I shouldn't be surprised that this is a struggle. This is like one of the core elements to the story of my namesake, Jonah. Jonah, who can't get on, po on board with God's forgiveness of Nineveh after they've repented. Jonah, who says, I don't even want to invite them to the party. I don't want to tell them what they can do to fix it. I don't want this fight to end. I want to remain right and self-righteous. I don't want the righteousness of relationship it's too late. It's too late. They can't even earn it back. And I get stuck like Jonah. I get stuck in that same place. It's so the same place that the first son was at with the pig slop saying, I, I'll have to earn it. If I want love, if I want sustenance, if I want connection, I'll have to earn it. It's the same logic that says, I did earn it. I did earn it and you didn't. You don't get to be loved. You don't get to be worthy. You don't get to come back home. You made too many wrong choices. You hurt too many people. And so, the father, the mother, the eternal parent has to sit me down and say, hey, hey, kiddo. You are not loved because of the labor you do. You are loved because you are worthy and you are worthy because you are loved. My home is your home. Your community surrounds you. The love that is there, that is the core of things. We do the labor because we want to build something beautiful. We build the kingdom together because we have hope for a future. But that future is incomplete without your brother, without your sisters. That future is incomplete if we can't all heal together. Now I know, and the Father knows, and Jesus knows, that there's going to be a lot that needs to go down between those two brothers before they can party in full freedom. There needs to be a lot of healing for the, for the wounds and the broken relationship. Because we do. We hurt one another. 
And especially when you take this out of that little family system and you bring it to the systems of oppression and evil and empire, we get caught up in a lot that makes it impossible to build that true party, that real celebration where we are present and full and alive and connected. We have a lot of work to do, but we're never going to be able to do that work to heal and to get to that fullness of celebration if we're still standing salty out in the field. The party is not to be earned. The celebration, the joy, the love is not to be earned, whether you're good at it or bad at it. Our worthiness comes from who we are. And to be in community is the gift. The thing that we labor for is the gift. We are worthy together because we are loved. And it is for that reason that we can do the labor in the first place. It is for that reason that we can stand in the field and sweat and hope. It is for that reason that we have the power to tear down the structures that, that combine to make all of these forces of death and destruction in this world. It is because we are loved and we are worthy that we can build the kind of community and celebration that, we can, that can withstand the onslaught of empire and destruction. It is because we are strong and connected and loved in a family, a family of our choosing, a family of God, that we have hope for a future in which celebration is the norm. God doesn't play our games about earning. God doesn't want you to earn anything. God wants you to receive the love you are worthy of and to use it to build a better world. God wants to celebrate with you and with anyone who is ready. And yeah, we might need to do a lot, a lot to repair harm to make that happen. But the point, the point is family and connection and celebration. And whether you have been connected enough to contribute towards that beautiful future for years and years, how lucky or if you got here five minutes ago and are still trying to find your feet, trying to remember your worth, trying to make up for the hurt that you've caused, you are welcome. You are welcome at the table of the Lord. You are welcome in the kingdom we are building. You are welcome to the party. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, when we look around at springtime, we see your many celebrations everywhere. The way that life and joy burst forth from the earth. God, may we tend to the celebration and love in our life. May we be present to one another. Not because we've earned it. Not because we're trying to earn it. But because the love that you pours in, pour into us, the worth that you gave us inherently, gives us everything we need to build a world worth celebrating. May we have compassion for others and for ourselves. May we remember that the gift is presence. And God, may we celebrate even as we build. Amen.